0: All right. um, we're going to continue our series on God and government today and we're going to talk about Esther. Last week we talked about Daniel and Esther happens to be another government official an employee of a secular institution that helped people live their lives well. That's what government is to do. But in doing so, I did not want to overlook the things that that are important to our decision making process and how we, uh, dis- how we prioritize our vote. What does it look like? Now, I am never going to tell anybody how they should vote. It's not my place. It would be inappropriate for a pastor to ever do that. But I can give things that are biblically sound, which are principles upon which I think priorities need to be based. And we as a people don't need to vote Because that's the way our parents did it. We don't need to vote in a certain way because of the way it's always been. We don't need to vote in a certain way because we like the candidate. We need to vote with some degree of stewardship that says, God, I'm going to worship you through this decision. There's not one thing we do as a Christian that should not be filtered through the matrix of worship and obedience to our God. Not one. Church is not just on Sunday. It's all the time. Christianity is to be lived 24-7, and so we can't compartmentalize where we want God in and where we want him out. Now, you say, well, pastor, wait a minute now. Aren't there different ideas about how we interpret the Bible? Yep. And so I'm going to respect however you come to your decision with, with, with the idea that God is going to lead you as you read the Bible and interpret it. But I'm going to let you know that there are some issues which I think are really, really clear that we need to at least understand and begin to wrestle through about how our souls should respond one that God is a defender of the defenseless that's his position that and for many other reasons I believe that life begins at conception and that every good Christian ought to make sure that that's a part of their decision-making process I believe that marriage is a biblical term yes. and that it, it, the definition of it is one genetically born man married to one genetically born woman Amen. Amen. now I'm not, going, I'm not going to try to fight whatever liberties are privileged as, at, at whatever liberties a person has as a result of being an American that allow them the privilege of habitation I'm not going to try to fight that. Or uh, benefits of insurance. I'm not going to try to fight that. But when you talk about changing a biblical term, we're going to have to discuss that one. Yes. That's Bible. And when we, when we talk about Bible, what other terms do you want to change? It won't stop. They'll come in here with discrimination suits based on civil rights movement, which is illegitimate. Illegitimate, Based on the civil rights movement. They'll come in here with discrimination suits, saying, you don't, have enough of, uh, you don't have enough of a certain type of people on your staff. And sue it. Sue the church and shut the church down. That's where they're going. That's where they're going. So we need to figure out, okay, where are we going to make our stand? And we're not talking about fighting. We're talking about praying and responsibly using what leverage we have as Americans called a vote. I believe it's important for, the, for a government to provide for the poor in some way that allows the poor to no longer have, have a slot where they stay. Jesus said he's going to judge the nations in Matthew 25 based on how they provided for those who provided for him. He said, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. And the nations came and said, when were you ever naked? When were you ever hungry? And we fed you. He said, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. That was not a personal exhortation for the disciples. That was an exhortation for the nations. So the nations better figure out how to provide for the poor. And lastly, I think we ought to be environmentally conscious. Christians, above all people, ought to figure out how to use the planet wisely. Be good stewards of it. And make sure that it is around for our great-great-grandchildren in good shape. That they inherit something better than when, when we had it. There are many more issues that need to be filtered through scripture for us to make a good decision but those are just some and i beg you read your bible and find out what god has to say and make a good sound decision when you go to the polls can you say amen to that all right and you're still being a good christian and not not disfellowshipping folk from your life because they're a democrat or republican right good thank you I i got to check now i just got to check we got we got an asian pastor up here are you kidding me we sing in spanish come on now we got to check these things we have to be vigilant all the time because we are an eclectic people turn with me over to to ephesus ephesus lord jesus (laughs) esther help me jesus help me esther chapter two we're going to look at verse 17 Esther 2.17, the king loved Esther more than all the, all the other women, and she found favor and kindness with him more than all of the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Lord, help as we study. I decided that we would study this book today because it's probably the most unusual book in all of the Bible. You ought to read it about eight or nine times within a 24-hour period. The, the ins and outs and the imaginations of people as they try to manipulate the political structures for their own benefit. And what God does behind the scenes is amazing. It's unlike any story in the Bible. And it should give us encouragement in this political process in this time period to understand that God can do stuff even when we don't naturally see him doing stuff. Amen. This is the only book out of the 66 books of the Bible Where the name of God is not mentioned There's no place in there We don't see one person praying We don't see one person sacrificing Now because we are We come to the Bible with a religious bent We look at this book as being a religious book But there's not one mention of God Not one mention of prayer Not one mention of sacrifice Not one mention of offering Nothing Not even the mention of a righteous man being in there Or a righteous woman There's not one mention of a priest, not one mention of prophecy, nothing. You could take this book out of the Bible, and if it were not a part of spiritual enlightenment, as we know it to be true, put it in secular arenas, and they would have no issue with it at all. But because it's contextualized in Scripture, eh, it's a religious book. But I want us, and I don't mind it being a religious book, but I want us to think differently about it because we get insight when we think differently about what the author had in mind when he originally wrote it. And then we get greater, greater, greater uh, sense of what God can do in our world if we interpret the Bible correctly. And the better we can interpret it, the better we can make application. Now what we see in this book is God behind the scenes doing stuff when we don't see him naturally doing stuff. Which means to me that I don't have to have a Christian president for God to move in our nation. I would love one. Not to say that we don't have one or we haven't had one, but if you look at history, history says that in America we've had more non-Christian presidents than Christian, people that did not profess faith. Now culturally, they may have been more righteous than Christians are today. (laughs) Simply because the mores of our society hemmed them in to do the right thing. They were guided by an ethic, maybe not a faith, but an ethic. And so they seemed Christian. But many of our first presidents, Thomas Jefferson was not a believer. Third president of the United States, not a believer. And that was in the inception of our country, real close to its birth. There are a bunch of them. I don't need a Christian president to believe that God can move in our nation. I don't need necessarily our Congress to be be those that have a prayer before they do what they do every day, though I think it's important for God to move in our nation. Here we've got Esther living in an ungodly society. These folk were practicing and very good idolaters. They had no knowledge of God at all. And yet the Lord moved behind the scenes in order to save his people in miraculous ways that means that there's hope for our nation hope, doesn't matter who's in office, Republican, President, Democratic President, Democratic Congress, Republican, doesn't matter God can do what he wants to do because he is sovereign he is not dependent upon our righteousness in order for him to do good if he was, we're all in trouble We neither do it right enough, and when we do it right enough, we're not right enough. None of us are good enough to make God look right. All of us are dependent upon him to do what only he can do after we have done what we should do. Whatever we do is never enough. And so we are looking at this circumstance with Esther and saying, wow, look at what happened. Now, let me give you the background. There was a king named Ahasuerus, and he was, he was, it, did you see 300? I'm not recommending it, but I'm just asking. <laughs> did you see the movie 300? Okay, yeah, some of y'all saying, I ain't saying that in church. <laughs> I'm not even confessing that one in church. 300. Okay, the, 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 the Persian king, the nine-foot Persian king, you know, they took dramatic liberties in the movie. That dude was this guy. This is a Ahasuerus. It's about 480 B.C. The people of Israel have been in captivity for a better part of 100 years. And, and he is ruling over the known world. Um, he has a queen named Vashti. And as he comes to power, in his third year, he decides, decides to throw a party for all of his governors and rulers and mayors. And so all the nobles and the, the elected appointed officials come. And he throws his party for him. For six months he throws a party and displays the splendor of his. Six month party. Displays the splendor of his kingdom. Everything. From India to the Mediterranean Sea. That's where he ruled. So he's bringing in all kinds of animals and things that people made. and Magicians and all. And, in, and, and at the, the, the last of the party he throws a party for everybody in his capital city which is Susa. From the least to the greatest, he throws a party. So poor people, rich people, everybody, seven days, they could eat and drink as much as they wanted at no expense to them. And at the end of the seven-day period, he wanted to display what he believed was his greatest prize, the joy of his life, his queen, Vashti. She was gorgeous, 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 gorgeous. And he said, I want you to appear before all the people with your crown she declines, she doesn't come now, the brother made a mistake first of all you you, you don't use your wife as a trophy to display I don't care if you're king or not, you want a good good marriage, you don't do that two, you don't bring her out when everybody has had unlimited wine For seven days. Not a good idea. She's gorgeous. They're drunk. Three. We believe that the reason she did not come out. Is because the language emphasizes her crown. Because that's all he wanted her to wear. A queen would always come out with her crown. She would never appear in public without it. But he said, your crown. So she said, I ain't coming. Every, every woman said, good for you, Vashti. Good for you. Good for you, girl. Well, the king got mad. And all his leaders said, you got, to, you got to fire her. She can't be queen no more. You got to find a new queen. So a search went out. <clears throat> and they found Esther. And Esther happened to be the one who she was a jewish girl but but god had 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 put her in the right slot and had given her favor so that she could not only be crowned queen but be the intercessor for her people when an enemy would arise from within the ranks of the persian kingdom that desired to destroy all of the jews and she was in a position of influence and power to change the edict and to save her own people now I love the fact that behind the scenes God is doing all this and and it's written in such a way as to inspire everybody who happens to live in a secular environment in an environment that is not godly in an environment that might be a godly or ungodly that he can still move I love that it gives me hope every day every day that he can do something in our world But the particulars of what it means for Esther is that God wants to use her and vicariously you to do something more than just fulfill your purpose for your life. See, you've got an idea about what the end looks like for you, what you want to see happen before you die, the fulfilling things you'd like to see God do to make you happy to bring your desires to pass. We all have those things that kind of paint a picture for what life would look like for us to make us complete. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. But, but generally, it's always too myopic. It's too small. It's not about God making you happy. Happiness is a good thing. I'm not mad about it but it's not about that, that's not the end goal the end goal is that you fulfill the purpose for which he put you on the planet and that is much greater than the one for which you believe you've been put on the planet and what we see here is a little girl who had no idea why she was put in this position and probably didn't want to go and yet she saved an entire people group now let me fill in the blanks for you the king said I need a new queen and so he, he, he went out looking now the context for Esther is that she was, was an adopted young girl she was an orphan her father's name was Abihail, but we don't know who her father and mother were meaning we don't know what status they had in the Babylonian kingdom or what kind of Jewish status or nobleman they may have been noble people they may have been we have no idea But we know this, that they passed away. Haggai, excuse me, Mordecai, happened to be the first cousin of Esther. So uh, Esther's daddy was his uncle. And Mordecai happened to be an elder, we believe, elder cousin. So when Esther's parents passed away, Mordecai adopted Esther. And it says that he raised her as his own daughter. Now we do know this about Mordecai. Mordecai is a central figure in this this book and Mordecai happened to be a man that sat in the gate now the gate meant the place that was directly preceding the palace and Mordecai would conduct affairs there seeing that it says that he was in the gate it implies that there were judiciary things that occurred in Mordecai's life because that's what happened usually at the gate of the palace that disputes would be solved. Governmental things would happen there. Which meant Mordecai had some position of influence in the government. Maybe small. But he was considered somebody of nobility and honor. Now, if we don't know who, who Esther's parents were in their status, we can assume this. And you're reading through the lines. You were trying to figure out what, what God is saying. But 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 I don't think my assumption is wrong that the Lord positioned Esther to be somebody who had the ability to get into a family that had stature in the kingdom so that she could be one of those that would be eligible to be chosen to be a part of the pageantry from which the king would choose a queen think about this for a minute not many noble among you huh anybody from blue blood in here Duke after your title, your name, princess. All of us are pretty much garden variety folks, are we not? And yet, in order for us to get the royalty that we were destined to have, we had to be adopted by Almighty God. This is the picture here that we see. Because the king, it was rare when a king went out to find a commoner in order to be his bride. Usually, he set it up with another kingdom, so that they could he could get a princess and there could be an alignment between kingdoms so that they could have economic viability between the two and share and trade and then they wouldn't war against one another because nobody wanted to kill your own grandkids. So that's what but this this king went out to find a commoner. But he didn't go out to find a common commoner. He went out to find somebody within the ranks of nobility, which then as a result of being the daughter of Mordecai, made Esther eligible. Now, the other things which made Esther eligible are those subjective things that are sometimes not subjective. It says that she was beautiful in form and face. On the scale of 10, she was 11. She was smoking hot. She was just hot. She was amazingly gorgeous. But there was more about her than just her, her physical appearance there was something on the inside you know there are some people that have all the right facial features and bodily form to attract our attention but then when we get to know them they are ugly <laughs> there's something wrong on the inside and, and you'd say it, 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 that doesn't work for me and then there are those people that are fairly plain who have something going on the inside that inspire a woman like Cynthia Wakefield to marry Brett Fuller I'm just a garden variety guy. I'm not a model, but I love God. And she believed that I could provide for her and care for her. And so there's something on the inside that I had going on beyond what I, would may have been a liability on the outside. (laughs) Esther had both drop-dead gorgeous and beautiful on the inside to where now she, in any setting, she became the one that stood out. Now the king said, I want you to find the most beautiful virgins from all over the kingdom." So the competition was huge. This was, a, this was a, a Miss World pageant. Everybody was gorgeous. Everybody was perfect in their form and, and, and face and features. So what was going to distinguish somebody to make sure that the king would say, you're different? She had something on the inside. And when she was chosen from the peoples, and she got into this harem, if you will. The guy named Haggai, who was over all the the women and their preparation before they would be presented before the king. He looked at Esther and said, you're amazing. You're amazing. Now, Haggai was a eunuch. And it had to be. Because you couldn't have, <laughs> it had to be enable and with no desire. Because you, you, somebody going to mess up, somebody going to mess up. And so he looked at her with as much purity as anybody could and say, said, you're gorgeous. Gave her the best maids out of the entire arsenal, the, 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 the human resources that he had to provide for her made sure she had the best food, made sure she had the best spa treatments, and ladies said, amen. Amen. That's all she did every day. For 12 months, 12 months, what should I do today? (laughs) Cucumbers on the eyes, exfoliation treatments, toes, toes, Please, pedicure. You got those little fish that kind of eat off the stuff in the, the feet there. You got those. I just want to stick my foot up in there. Man. Hairdresser, makeup, every day. That was her job. And all the ladies said, how do I get that job? But Haggai said, I'm going to give you the best hairdresser, the best makeup artist, the best nutritionist, the best the best manicure the best pedicure you got the best why remember everybody was gorgeous but there was something about her on the inside and this is stuff we've got to 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 kind of weed through and look, look between this is how you get promoted without preaching this is how you stand out to your employer without opening your bible is that there is something on the inside that has been worked in character where you might be competent just like everybody else. There's something about you that makes somebody say they're different. I don't know what it is. Yeah, they do their job like everybody else, but when they do it, it's different. Their spirit is different. Their heart is different. They want to serve. They're never begrudging. They don't talk about people like other folk do. There's something different about this one. And the beauty about these messages I'm preaching is that we're recognizing that this seems to be the standard of folks who happen to love God and yet are placed in a secular environment. That what did they say about Daniel? We don't have one message Daniel ever preached. Not one. We don't even call him a preacher. He was a government employee. Yet it says from the other people who were looking on, he was 10 times better than everybody else. That didn't mean he spoke the language any better. That didn't mean he could add better. It meant that something on the inside was better. And God wants to make you better. So you can make your world better. Yeah. This is how you change your world. Oh, I want it to be done by preaching because that's what I do. But I realize I'm limited to a Sunday morning and to those who want to listen to what I got to say. You go out in your world, you can't take a Bible up in your, 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 your governmental office. You can't take it over at Verizon or, or Intel or, or Sprint or wherever you work. You can't do that. But you can be better. Amen. You can capture the attention of people by having something on the inside that doesn't allow them to ignore you. Haggai said, you're amazing. Yeah, I don't know anybody listen all these other women they might have a little bit going on but you got it all going on so came time for Esther to be presented before the, the king now this, this is where it gets a little this is where I have to guard my words for tender ears in the room I, I don't know how all this works but I'm going to tell you how I think it worked because I want it to work like this <laughs> the women would go in they would present themselves to the king. And if they were chosen, then they were queen. But if they weren't, they went to another harem and they were put there until the king called for them again. But they could never marry. They turned into concubines for the rest of their days. You talk about a risk. What if this doesn't work out? What if what if I and this is where you have to trust your God when you take a risk and you put yourself in a position and you're all in and then all of a sudden the possibility of it not working out means you're going to be all out this is where you trust God and so it came time for Esther to go in to see the king one night and if, if it didn't work out Esther was done but Haggai see this this is where Haggai represents the Holy Spirit he was the guy again the eunuch in charge he represents what we would look at as the Holy Spirit he's the one who prepares to make sure and and he would make sure that everybody has their their desires their wants they try to work their will in the midst of a political situation and uh, Haggai said I'm going to give you some things to take into the king." That I don't give anybody else. So Haggai knew some stuff. He said you take these gifts in there. And that's going to help you. So he was working it. Because he liked her. With the possibility of being queen. So she went in. she, She appeared before the king. And the king said. I don't know anybody like you. You're my queen. Now. I don't know what happened, but this is, I'm going to make this up because it makes me feel good. I think what happened is he saw, her. he said, will you marry me? Brought in the priest, said I do, and he did what they do. I think that's what happened. I think that's what happened. Now, that's a very clean version. (laughs) Uh, But I don't know. I don't know. It gets messy in there, but it's always messy when you're dealing with the world. Always, it's never clean. And sometimes we have to alternate and change and morph so we can make sure that the gospel goes and does what it needs to do. She became queen. Now, I don't have time to get into all the things that happen in the midst between Mordecai and Haman, who was another guy we haven't mentioned yet, and what it, what it meant for Mordecai to to help Esther understand the urgency of her petition to save her own people. I don't have time. But I I hope that you've gotten two things out of this today. One, that God can move when we don't see he can naturally move. He is God all by himself. And though we want to have the right kind of thinking people in places of influence and power so that they can put into place his will best, When that doesn't happen, it doesn't mean that God's hands are tied. And then secondly, you're on the planet for more than just you. You might have to go through some stuff, some uncomfortable things. You might have to do some stuff you you really don't like, though it's not sin. In order to see the will of God done for a whole lot more people beyond you. Esther had no idea that the tragedy of the passing of her parents being adopted by her cousin being forced to only have one option for marriage in her entire life and that being dependent upon one night otherwise she was going to be single for the rest of her days she had no control over any of that and yet she trusted God Lord I believe now again there's nothing that says it there but because we know our God, we, we understand what it means to go through something like this to see a bigger picture come to pass. The Lord wants to do something in you great. Great. Let not mediocrity be your portion. Do not settle for just at having God answer the things that are most important to your heart so you can feel happy. Don't be excited just about your prayers being answered so you can get a better job. Figure out what that job means in order that other people might get right. How does it play into the grand scheme of his kingdom progressing in the earth? That's why he has called you. Are you listening to me? Let's pray.